welcome to Relevant Faith Church. My name is Mike Womer. I am the lead pastor here at Relevant Faith, and we are excited that you have joined us this morning. But with the rest of my time, I want to talk in, in the series that we have been in. But take a minute, if you would. The lights are going to black out, and you can take a moment. Look up at the screen. We have a video I want you to, I want you to see that will be a great video on, on ex- introducing today's topic. In the beginning, there were words. For no sky nor dirt, rocks nor birds, heaven nor earth, death nor birth had yet been given proper syllabification. So nothing physical had yet entered creation. But despite the lacking of material manifestations, there did hang one true enunciation. Words. Words of God, spoken script, speaking scripture, holy writ, the writing builder, building mountains out of nouns, plants and herbs from active verbs, planting nations in punctuation, preparing solar positions with prepositions. Nature's narrative was rich with adjectives, but... Man was dirt and needed an additive, so God added his imperative, impairing the dirt of its ability to be sedative. So came the breath of life, the words that made dirt our relative. We are born of Bible, letters formed our limbs. How can I deny God's words when they are written on my skin? In this breath of life, God breathed to begin, an exhalation for the ages, the inspiration of men. You know the words of which I speak. You've memorized them. They are the Pentateuch, Torah, history books, poets, major and minor prophets, synoptic gospels, acts of the apostles, and their epistles. They are our scriptures, those ancient divine whispers scribed by enlightened scriptures passed down to modern listeners. The mouth from which the universe was founded is the fount on which our scriptures are grounded. Listen to where the Bible was originally sounded, for it's far better than what we have lobbied or from traditions copied or our own doctrines embodied that scripture says that scripture is God breathed that means the breath that filled the nostrils of the ground the life blown into dirt the exhaling heartbeat that made the simple renowned that is what can be found in what has been written down so I believe in the scriptures where God has breathed the breath of life where we find the vows between eternal husband and earth earthly wife, where saints and martyrs find comfort for their strife and stone hearts come to get cut with a knife. I believe in the scriptures. When God breathed on dirt, he got man. When he breathed on man, he got words. The words are not in the dirt, but in the breath. The breath passes from man to man until they return to dirt, the eternal chain of command, the passing of words, and now the words are in our hands. But so often they're only found behind our lips or on our eyes within church doors in red and black lines printed on shirts our commitments disguise what we say is truth our lives claim is a lie 
But I believe in the scriptures. For those scribal scribblings refuse to stay on the page. For they give life, so life is required to be paid. The words in your Bibles are not meant on paper to lay, but to be resurrected in your flesh as you die to them every day. I believe in the scriptures, for by them, through them, and to them I was made. For they are the words of Genesis, the exodus of shame. They are the words that form my bones and the ones that will call me from the grave. They are the ink on my flesh, the pen on my tongue. They are the words by which creation has begun and through which recreation will be done. They are the words of God and we are his listeners. I believe God still speaks. I believe in the scriptures. A very powerful um, spoken word um, on a very powerful topic and the title of my message today is echoed in that video and it's called I believe the scriptures and so in order to make a simple statement like I believe in the scriptures we have to first understand a lot about where they came from what the purpose is and understand um, and and in order to really submit to this idea of belief we do have to have some understanding about God Now, I will say this, if logically you're trying to rationalize why you should believe in God and why you should believe in Christ, let me just help you out and ask you to stop, because it doesn't rationally make a lot of sense. It just, it really doesn't, and I get that, and some folks think that I'm nuts because of the way that I believe or the way that I live or the choices that I make in the name of faith, and the reality is I don't know any other way to have the peace and the grace and the love and the mercy that I have and experience every day except to experience it through grace and through God because I once lived a life outside of Christ. And it wasn't just a few years of life outside of Christ. It was a good 24 to 25 years of life outside of Christ where I made a a lot of choices and decisions that, um, let's just say, they cost me a lot along the way. And so to compare the two lives... This is the one that brings me the most fulfillment, that brings me the most excitement, that brings me the most passion. And to talk about this topic, this is the Word of God is perhaps the, 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 the most passionate thing that I have in my life And as far as when I talk about things uh, outside, of course, my family, my wife, my children, because I'm very passionate about them. But outside of that and in my faith, His Word is the one thing I am probably more passionate about than anything else. And so... Hopefully, my goal today is to help you establish a baseline of where the scriptures come from and honestly, what its power is for your life. And so to do this, um, last, so last week, um, one of the elders here at this church, Nate Terry, preached, and he preached life in the word, and he did a powerful, dynamic job of communicating with passion and energy about how God's word brings life. And he used the passage, 2 Timothy chapter 3, and in the middle of that message, I really felt compelled to, to, to talk more about that specific passage. And so that's where we're going to reside today for the rest of our time together. I'll bring in some other scripture as supporting for what we're talking about, but this, we're going to be in one passage of scripture for most of our time together. And so 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 17, it'll be up on the screen for you as well to follow along. But the Bible says, all scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true 
and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. The first line in that passage, all scripture is inspired by God, is perhaps one of the most important lines in that passage. Because here's the reality. We can talk theology and we can talk doctrine and we can talk belief and we can talk all of these things. But if we don't come to the realization that what is written in the Bible is breathed and inspired by God, then really the challenge will just become how you live your life and how your heart is connected to him. Because if we don't believe this to be God's word, then we won't necessarily submit to it. We won't live by it. We won't allow it to correct us. And therefore, we created a society that says it's a free-for-all. What you want to believe and everything that you want to do is just cool with us. Just do whatever you want to do. It's up to you. And that's, and that's fine. We have that free will to do so. But God lays out some, some pretty significant things through his word about how he wants us to live, how he wants us to love one another, how he wants us to treat one another. And unfortunately, in today's society, in today's church, like he said, you don't see a whole lot of that. A lot of love and scripture is on the lips of people, but sometimes it fails to come from the life of people. I don't know about you, but I've experienced that where I've had people who are so full of speech with God's word and so understanding, but don't love their neighbor. Don't do anything to help meet the needs of those that are in need. And to me, that's the baseline of all of the word. And so that's one of the most important parts, and we're going to break that down. I'm going to spend a good bit of time on that one thought of Scripture being inspired and breathed by God. And so as this week went on from last Sunday to this Sunday, I, had this, I, I, I dove deeper and deeper into this passage, and it led me, which this, the Word of God often does, on this amazing journey that will hopefully maybe not conclude in this message today, but hopefully come this journey will come out in this message today. So in your note sheet, there's a few blanks for you to track along with us. We are excited to have all of our children in the place this morning. You guys are awesome. It's a family Sunday here at Relevant Faith where our children join us, and it's so cool that they're in here. I love it. I love the atmosphere. I love the excitement, the movement, the chatter, all of it. One young man was coming up here and hanging out, watching the video. I love that. I love that. This is, a, this, is a, this is the house of God, and we want people to feel comfortable in this place. And so oftentimes you can go to churches, and you can kind of feel restricted or even almost condemned because your kids are moving or talking, right? Not here. I won't be too distracted. Um, I'll be no more distracted by your children than I am by myself. So we'll be all right. So in your note sheet, the very first blank that we have that we're going to talk about is this idea that all Scripture is inspired by God. It is God-breathed. So two things I want to define for you in this passage of Scripture is, number one, the word Scripture, where it says all Scripture is inspired by God. This just very simply refers to the written word. Like what is written is inspired by God. One of the important things in this particular word, this particular word scripture is used 51 times in all of the Bible. You know, and as you know, as many of you know, and not everyone knows, but because not everyone's been around as long as others, one of my favorite things about studying God's word is to get into its original language and its original context. 
And so, because so many dangerous things are said and spoken and believed because of context. And context is very important. And so, and I, so I get into what it actually means in its original language. And so this word scripture in its original language literally means the written word referencing God's ownership. And so it really is spoken. It's really the word scripture really breaks down like this. It is the written word of God with holiness and it's spoken. So it's written, holy, and spoken. So it was meant to be penned. It has, it, it has righteousness and holiness in it. And then afterwards it was meant to be spoken, which is why you have preaching in churches, why you have teaching in Bible studies, because that was its intent. It's showing, it's referencing God's, that it belongs to God, which shows its ownership. It's referencing that it's holy, which means it's ex- exhibiting God's character. And then it's the word which is spoken. And so it's, why is it important to know that? Because in this context, each of these words have power and have meaning for our lives. And so when the Bible says it is, so it is scripture and it is, is inspired, this word inspired would actually be better translated to say it is literally breathed by God. It was breathed by God. Even in the video, he said the breath is what brought the words. And so Paul used this language to emphasize the importance of the sacred nature of God's word, that it came literally from his breath. And so I'm going to use this, use a couple of, uh, of words in scripture to help you define the breath of God using Old Testament and New Testament because they're both equally important. And so this word that's being used as inspired actually relates directly to God's spirit or the, or the, or the word pneuma, which can also be translated as fresh breath. That's what the word of God is supposed to be. It's supposed to be a fresh breath of God. And there are so many other connections to the breath of God and its power. And when God speaks, wherever his voice is, things change. Where, and that's, that's his breath. So his word is what he breathed. And whenever he breathes, there's something that changes. Something has to change in the atmosphere. Something has to change in, in, in everything. And I'll give you an example. Genesis chapter 1, in the very beginning, the Bible says, In the beginning, God created he- the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and empty, and darkness covered the deep waters. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. Those are the first two words that account for for creation. The first two words account for creation. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. There's There's not necessarily a time frame to what in the beginning looks like. That's why there's so many arguments that are honestly worthless arguments about how old earth is, whether it's tens of millions of years old or tens of thousands of years old, it's a worthless argument because it doesn't really matter and no one actually knows. But the reality is that God created the heavens and he created the earth. And I subscribe to that thought process. And then in verse three, he says, then God said, let there be light. And light was. And if you think about this, this is like the ultimate of changing of environments. You ever walk, you ever, I don't know about you, I love to sleep in pitch black darkness. I don't like any light whatsoever. I don't like a night light. I don't like light from outside. I like pitch black 
darkness. That's why my, the best thing that I did was build my, ba- my bedroom in the basement of my house. No windows. Close the door, and it's black, and I love it like that. And so my wife loves to turn the light on in the morning. So you go from darkness to light, and it is a, it is a dramatic change. I mean, when it hits, I'm like, oh, man. Maybe you have some experience with this. I have some experience in my 20s. It's kind of like the similarity, similarity of walking out of the dark club and into the light. You're like, oh, man, my eyes got to adjust. Because light brings this dramatic change. And so it's the first thing that God spoke when he said, let there be light, because he knew this would be the most impacting change that would take place in all of creation. And so look what the passage says. It says, God created the heavens and the earth. The heavens and the earth had no form. There was no shape. There was, it was completely empty. It was not inhabited by anything. It was dark because there was no light. And even with the Spirit of God hovering, it was still all of those things. So here's, why is that important? Because here's what we have to understand in our, for our lives. is in, With our lives, you can have no real form. You can be completely empty. And you can feel like you're locked up in darkness. Even though the Spirit of God and God himself created you, you can still feel that way. And it isn't until there's light that is brought to you, whether that light is this light bulb moment that, wow, like in, maybe in a time of worship like this morning where it's like, wow, God, God knows my name? For real? Is God knows my name? Maybe it's one of those moments. Whatever it is, something with light happens and it wakes you up. You know, the Bible says that joy comes in the morning, right? And that, that joy and that peace and that rest comes in the morning. But morning isn't necessarily what has an AM next to it. It just means you woke up. Some of us wake up at different times in our lives. And so it's when that light hits us. So we have to understand that without God's word, without the word of God, there really is nothing. We are empty and without form. Without God's word, we have no, we don't have fulfillment. We don't have a sense of belonging or who we actually are and who we belong to. The greatest search in all of history of man is who are we and what are we supposed to do? And that's to suggest that you can't have understanding of who you are without God, not to suggest you can't have under, even have success without God. But we talk about things of eternal significance when it comes to God. And so, so we, have to, we have those things. That, and as soon as he spoke, everything changed. It took God speaking to change everything around us. And so outside of creation, one of the most powerful manifestations of the breath of God that we're talking about came in perhaps one of my favorite scriptures and favorite stories in all of the Bible because I think it's the, one of the most far-fetched ones in all of the Bible. If you're ever going to believe, like, man, does this really happen? This might be the story that tests test that thought process. Ezekiel chapter 37. In the first 10 verses, I'm going to read them to you. It said, the Bible says, The Lord took hold of me, Ezekiel the prophet of God, and I was carried away by the Spirit of the Lord to a valley filled with bones. He led me all around among the bones that covered the valley floor. They were scattered everywhere across the ground and were completely dried out, meaning they were completely dead. Dried bones. There's no water. There's no life. And so he goes on to say, Then he asked me, Son of man, can these bones become living people again? This is where it starts to get a little bit, for real? 
And he, his response is, oh, sovereign Lord, I replied, you alone know the answer to that. And then he said to me, speak a prophetic message to these bones and say, dry bones, listen to the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says. Look, I am going to put breath into you and make you live again. I will put flesh and muscle on you and cover you with skin. I will put breath into you and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. So here we have this, this, this image of this valley full of dried out dead bones and God telling the prophet to speak out of your mouth life. And, and, and he was very specific. He said, we're going to do it in this way. We're going to put breath into you and make you live. We're going to put flesh and muscle on you and cover you with skin. And I'll put breath into you and you will come to life. So verse 7, he says, so I spoke this message just as he told me. Suddenly, as I spoke, there was a rattling noise all across the valley. The bones of each body came together and attached themselves as complete skeletons. Then as I watched, muscles and flesh formed over the bones, then skin formed to cover their bodies, but they still had no breath in them. There's something powerful, and even if this is just imagery, there's something very powerful of what takes place when you speak. This is why the word, this is why the breath of God is so important because he imparts that breath in us, and then we have this ability to speak like God spoke when he said, let there be light. You have this ability to speak life and light into your situation. And so he spoke, and when he said suddenly, there was a rattling noise across the valley. How many know that when you get into this place where you start to speak into your life and you start to speak good things, positive things, what God thinks of you, things into your life, there's going to start to be a noise that takes place. It's, it's what the Bible says. There's going to be a start to be a noise that takes place and things are going to start to be rattled. But he's like, he's like I'm not done with you yet because there's, there's a lot of detail that he says I have tied up in this. And so when he did this, imagine this image of these bones, these dead dry bones coming to life and muscles and skin and everything forming on top of them, but they're standing there still with no breath. And then he said, speak a message to the winds. To the winds. Speak a prophetic message and say, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Come, O breath from the four winds. Breathe into these dead bodies so they may live again. So I spoke the message as he commanded me, and breath came into their bodies, and they came to life, stood up on their feet, a great army. See, this, this is the whole, this is the description even of the creation of man, because God formed us from the dust of the earth, and the Bible says that he breathed life into us. Without having that breath of God breathed into us, there is no life. And then he, he made it so that it would be something that was consistent and continuous. And that's where this comes in. That's where the word of God comes in. This is the breath of God poured into you every day. It's the only thing, and I've shared this uh, tons of times, so I'm not going to stay time on it very long. But it's the only thing that you can actually engage with and read and study and, and continue to do that process that will absolutely bring you life and you not fully understand why, and that's because it's living full of God's actual breath. That's what the scripture is. That's why it's so powerful to change lives. 
You know, the Old Testament word for this same in this passage for breath is this word ruach. It's the equivalent, for the most part, of the New Testament word pneuma, and, and, and there's this connection. And we have to look at it and understand that it is literally a wind that blows. Here's the cool thing that I love about the wind. You cannot actually see the wind. What you can see is the, how the wind disrupts what's around you. You can see trees and leaves blow. You can see trash can lids fly down the street, or if the winds are heavy enough, you'll see trash cans fly down the street. Right? You don't necessarily see the wind itself, but you see the effect of the wind. And when it blows, and here's, and here's how you really know, you can't see this thing that the Midwest is so very famous for in the wintertime called wind chill. You can look at the temperature and say, oh, it's sunny and 30 degrees. That's not so bad. But when you add a 40-mile-per-hour wind... It now feels like it's four degrees, and you walk outside and your nose hairs freeze. You are not seeing the wind, but you're certainly feeling the effects of that wind. Right? This is how God works. You can't necessarily see God. You can't necessarily hear, see his breath, but you certainly will feel the effects of how God works and how he speaks, just like the wind. And that was the intention of God breathe, is to be just like the wind. So that not, you don't have to see it. This is why faith makes no sense, but makes complete sense at the same time, at least to me, is I can't see God, but man, can I feel him. Man, can I sense that he's there. Man, can I see the change that has come along in my life because he just simply breathed life into me one day. It's just, I, I just the words don't even describe what he is able to do. That's why I tell people all the time, one of the things that I, that I have conversations with, because I sit with people and debate theology and talk religion and do all these things, because I actually enjoy the process. I enjoy the debate. I enjoy the confrontation. I enjoy all those things, as long as it's done with grace and mercy and love. I enjoy those things. And I, but here's the thing. We can debate theology, doctrine, all what you believe, what you don't believe all the time. But here's what you can't debate. You can't debate that there was a day that this young man was strung out on drugs, getting high, drinking, partying, doing anything and everything but what reflected the glory and grace and love of God, and I no longer live that way. You can't, dis you can't dispute that. I made that decision to say Christ is the center of my life. I'm following him with everything I have. And now all of those things, all gone. And it's like, fight me on it. Argue with me on it. You can't, you can't fight that argument. Because it is the effect and what you've seen from the wind and from the breath of God and how it's changed. The Bible is God-breathed. It is not full of contradiction like many would think. It may seemingly be filled with contradiction. That's why the word context is so important. For example, one hot-button issue that I will tackle very, very briefly, probably enough just to get you interested, and then if you have questions, please feel free to ask. But the idea of women in leadership, hot-button issue in, in, in the world, and in the church, I subscribe to a thought process that says a woman has just as much value as a man in any context that you want to give it. It doesn't make a difference. There is a biblical order that God has given 
for your home. The man is the priest of the home. He should lead that home spiritually. He should lead that home physically. That's not to suggest that the woman is not important because in my house, we have a plaque that, I don't know that it's still there because it's so old it might have broke, but it used to hang on the refrigerator and it would say, do you want to talk to the man in charge? Me. Or the woman who knows what's going on? My wife. That's how my house works, and I'm okay with that. And it was evidence this weekend. She's been gone at a retreat since Thursday evening, and my world is in chaos. Because I don't know what's going on in my own world. I forget things. I get things done, but I forget things, and it's not as simple. And even my kids are probably feeling it on some way. I mask it and hide it by buying them Chick-fil-A. We had Wingstop, we had Chick-fil-A, we had Hungry Moose. All because dad don't have no food in the house. You think it's because he's just being a good dad. No, I got no food. I didn't go grocery shopping. So guess what I'm doing this afternoon? Grocery shopping. The whole world is in trouble. So there, But there is this biblical structure and order of things in the home. But let me tell you something. A woman can stand up here with this microphone and declare the same things that I'm declaring into the hearing of every person in the room with just as much skill, with just as much value, and just as much calling from God. Because the reality is women led in the church. Women led entire nations in the Bible. It's so, so some people will say, oh, well, Paul said this, that women should be hushed in the church. Well, there's context to that that I don't even have time to get into right now. Paul, then they said this about women leadership. Yeah, there's context to that that I can't even get into right now. But let's just look at the fact that in the Old Testament, a woman named Deborah was the judge and the ruler of the entire nation of Israel. Because it wasn't even a man qualified for it, so a woman had to step in. This is the way I believe and the way I feel about it. And I've, I've studied it, and I trust what I understand and what I know. There are women who, that's Old Testament. Some people are like, oh, well, the New Testament, new church is a little different. Okay, that's cool. There are four women in the New Testament who planted churches as the leader of the church. So yes, there is an importance in understanding that this is God-breathed. There seemingly is contradictions, but if you look at it in the context of what's being said, when it's being said, who it's being said to, and how it's being said, changes a little bit. Changes a little bit. So number one, we have to understand that God's word is God-breathed. Number two, holy cow, i got to race through this. Man, I'm good. i got time. Number two is found in that same passage of Scripture, verse, uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. It says, it is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. It teaches, it corrects, it prepares, and it equips. Those are the four blanks in your notes if you needed them. Those should be up on the screen. It teaches, it corrects, it prepares, and it equips. So let's break this down a little bit deeper. When the Bible says it is useful, the Bible uses this word, it means that it's advantageous for. It's going to help you. And it always points. Here's what's cool about being useful. It always points in a specific direction that you're supposed to be moving towards something. How many know that if you are in a place where you are just stagnant, stagnant is not life. Stagnant is actually trending towards death. Trending towards failure. Trending towards Anything but life. And the intention of God's word is to move you in his direction. To move you 
forward. That's what the word useful actually means. It's advantageous for, and it's to move you forward. And in this case, Scripture is useful to move us in specific ways. And Paul lays, listed those specific ways in his instructions to Timothy. It's useful, it's advantageous for us to learn what is true. It is useful to teach us what is right, the Bible says. Literally translated in Scripture is properly applied teaching. This is, what, this is why I love this type of preaching. What it does, it takes what is biblical truth and it ex- extends it to its lifestyle applications. That's what the word actually means. Taking biblical truth and extending it to its lifestyle applications. That's why one of the most important pieces of teaching and preaching is very simply, how does this apply to me? Because here's the thing, I could get up here and I could shout passionately about the word of God because it's, it's, I'm passionate about it. You could walk out of here and then on, on Monday, what, you, what you'll have the ability to do is go to work and say, oh man, you should have come to church. I invited you to church, you should have come to church. Man, my pastor was preaching it and he was, it was good and it was powerful. And, and they'll say, oh cool, what did, he, what did you get out of it? What did he say? Oh, I don't know, but it was good and it was powerful and he was shouting then it had no value for you. Just maybe in that moment, but it doesn't have any sustaining value. And the word of God should have sustaining value. You should have this ability to apply it to your life. That's why I like to teach the way that I teach and preach the way that I preach is to bring it down to an application place. I, get, I hear people tell me, I've had pastors tell me, oh, you preach too much practical application. Okay. I, I, wanna, I need to practically apply it to my life. Because my shouting and my preaching ain't going to get me through to Wednesday or Thursday or Friday or until next Sunday. i got to be able to apply it to who I am and to what I do. So it, it, it has this ability to teach us what is true. It corrects us. Oh, man, that's painful. I don't even know if I want to preach this point. It makes us, the Bible says it makes us realize what is wrong in our lives. Don't nobody want to be wrong in their life. I don't like to be. Anybody else in this place? Am I the only person in here that don't like to be wrong? I hate being wrong. I hate being wrong so much. But the Bible is meant to bring a conviction to your life of what is wrong. But not just to say, oh, this is what's wrong. We've all been around folks that say, Dad, this, you're doing this wrong and that wrong and this wrong and that wrong and this wrong and that wrong. We've been to those churches. We've been around those people. We understand that. We understand that we're wrong. How do I become right? Because after all, we don't want to be wrong. We want to be right. So how do I become right? So with this idea of, of correcting us, correction is not just telling me what was wrong, but it actually is a restoration to being right. It creates in us a discipline and a training that is designed to cause us to reach this place of development or, in Scripture, a place of completeness and almost near perfection. So all, you, all of you, 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 spe- you specific people who are perfectionists, it's coming. One day you're going to be perfect. Granted, it won't be while you have two feet on this earth, but you will be. Because that's the goal of Scripture is to ultimately present us perfect. So it, it has this ability to teach us what is true, correct us from, uh, and make us realize what's wrong, but it prepares us. The Bible says God uses it, the word, to equip us, his people. 
And so when we heard this word prepare, we often think of work or teaching or training, etc. When we think of the things that we would do to prepare for someone for something like if you have guests coming over, your preparation is going to be to clean the bathroom or to clean the living room or to just blitz clean the entire house. When my wife's around, that's the plan. When she's not around, it's to, it's to hide everything. No, don't open that door. You open that closet door, I have no idea what's going to happen to you. Just Get rid of it, because it can appear clean, but not actually be clean, right? That doesn't work so well in the house. But it's equipping us. We, and, and so what Paul is actually talking about is a little bit different than that kind of preparation. He's actually defining what this preparation looks like when it comes out. When, when, here's how you know you've prepared, because it's what the word means. It's what's per- perfected and complete in its readiness. This is why. This is why pastors of churches who jump off too quickly fail. Because they've not gone through the process to be ready, to be completed and to be ready. And for every person, that's different. For some people, it's four or five years. For some people, it's one or two years. For some people, it's eight to ten years. And for some people, a little bit longer. And there's nothing wrong with that. Everybody's process and everybody's journey is completely different. But God has a process. He has a journey. And so he's preparing us. And then the final thing in that part of the scripture it says is he, it equips us. That word equip just literally means it's properly fitted, finished and not lacking anything. God has a specific plan that he is preparing you for that you are properly fitted for. It, it doesn't work if, it's, if you're trying to have my plan. If you're trying to walk my plan, you can have my shoes. But you know what? If you wear an eight or a nine, you're not fitting in these twelves. You'll walk around, they'll flop all over the place. Or if you're not 225 pounds, you're not going to fit into my pants. You're not going to be properly fitted. It's not going to be properly equipped. It's the same thing that happened with David and Goliath and Saul. When Saul tried to prepare David for the battle of Goliath, he put on his ar- put armor his put armor on him, put Saul's armor on him. And Saul, if you know anything about him, he was a big, strong, strapping man. Like he to look at him, it's like, oh, big man. David was a ruddy little 14-year-old boy. Not going not gonna to measure up. Same size. That's why David was like clunky in this. He's like, oh, and he took it off. He said, I can't wear this. This is not what God gave me. So he said, I'm just going to choose a few stones and a sling, and I'll take care of business. Because that's what was properly fitted for him to accomplish what God wanted him to do. And that leads us to our third and final point for today. And so he... The word of God is breathed by God. It teaches, it corrects, it prepares and equips. But what's the point of it all? The point of all of it is to do every good work. To do every good work. I like that for the way it says it because it's it's not just good work. It's literally to do everything that God called you to do to accomplish everything that God designs for you to do, to tell you, this is what I want you to do, and now this is how I have spoken, this is how I have taught, corrected, and and, and prepared, and equipped, and this is now how I'm going to release you to do every good work. Verse 17 says, God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good 
work. This work that Paul is talking about is work that originates from God. This isn't just mindless work. This isn't just going and building something work, unless it's what God told you to build. This isn't just keeping you busy work. This is work that God has originated for you to accomplish. It's work that is going to be his plan. It's work that's going to be empowered by him. It's work that's going to take a step of faith to accomplish. That's God's plan. To breathe life into you, to teach you, to equip you, to prepare you, and then ultimately to launch you off and to do the work that he has called you to do. So what does all of these things have in common? All of these things have in common It's not the work that you want, but rather the work that he wants. Most important thing to know about this passage. It's not the work that you want. It's the work that he wants. Young people in the room, you you don't go to the college you want to go to. You don't go to the college that your parents went to because it's their alma mater. You go where God calls you to go. I'm going to brag for just about two or three minutes on one of my children. She's not here right now because she's away at college. Many of you who have been around know her. But she is this unbelievable young woman. She, had, she plays volleyball. She's very good at the game. She had a lot of opportunities to play volleyball in college. She had some Division II schools, even a Division I school they had to offer. She had no shortage of opportunities to play volleyball in college. And so... She, and we're talking through, her, through this journey in sophomore year and junior year, and she's like, where do I want to play? Where do I want to play? Where do I want to go? Where do I want to go? And I'm like, where, do you, where does God want you to go? Where does God want you to play? What does God want you to do? It's a difference between the two most times. I said, so what is that? And so by teaching and equipping and training her in that way, she went on her own to hear from God, and she chose to visit a school called North Central University in Minneapolis, Minnesota. It's a Division III Bible college. Volleyball competition, not very high. It's kind of low. But it's what God called her to do. She came to me and she says, Dad, this is where God's called me to be. I'm, I'm supposed to go to school here. And I'm like, all right. Minneapolis is a long time, long way away. I was hoping she'd choose like Quincy or something because it's like two hours away. She's going to get a scholarship. This school didn't even give her money to play volleyball. Because they couldn't. Division three schools can't give athletic scholarships. So it's like, okay, God, this is what you're calling her to do? Do it. And it's been the most rewarding and thriving thing for her in her life. Because ultimately she did what God said to do, not what she wanted to do. But what God wants her to do. And so there is a work specifically that he wants you to accomplish. And it's this work that accomplishes something. It's intentional and it has purpose. You may start something because you have passion, but God's going to perfect it because he has purpose. My wife is passionate about teaching and kids, and she was a, she's a school teacher. And so it's like she's following her passions, but God had purpose inside of that. And the purpose is to make a difference in someone's life. But you have to do something. You have to engage in work for Christ, not just work for money. But work for Christ. James chapter 2, this is actually what we've been studying in our Sunday morning, uh, our Wednesday morning Bible study at the Hungry Moose, is the book of James and breaking it down and going through it. And so James chapter 2, in verse 14, the Bible says, What good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith but don't show it by your actions? Now there's a couple of things that that, 
that relates to. Because it, it goes on to say, can that kind of faith save anyone? So what good is it for you to say, I believe in God, but you live completely contrary to that? It has no value. Because what you say doesn't really mean a lot. It's what you do means so much more than what you say. I grew, anybody else grow up in a house like I did as a do as I say, not as I do house? Lived in that house. Grew up in that house. How many of you know I didn't do what he said, I did what he did? Because that's how that works. So what you do, be careful because that's what your kids see more than what you say. They see everything you do, nothing, they hear nothing of what you say. Siri thinks I'm talking to her. He goes on in verse number 17, if you just skip two verses down, he says, so you see, faith by itself isn't enough. It's not enough just to say, I believe. Unless it produces good deeds, it is dead and useless. Oh, yes, I just told you your faith is dead if you don't do it, if it doesn't accomplish anything. Because it was designed to accomplish something. Worship team, come get it said. I'm going to close with this, this last thought. And this is my very, very brief stint of how to make this word that you're hearing today practical for your life. And in this context, to make it practical, you're going to have to do some work. To make it practical, you're going to have to do some work. So number one, this is in all three of them, there's no notes for you except for you to write it down. Understand what it is that God wants from you. Understand what it is that God wants from you. And, and I'm going to help you understand it as far as just giving you a few words, but it comes from your studying of this. But let me just tell you really quickly what God wants from you. He wants everything from you. Everything that you have, everything that you are, everything that you will become, he wants it all. Because he can do so much more with, what, with all of you than you can do with all of you. It's the same thing when it comes to, like, giving. We talk about giving and being generous, and we talk about the tithe. God can do so much more in your life with 90% than you can do with 100%. Fact. It's, it's, it's simple biblical math. It's not, even, it's not even actual rational math. It's biblical math. And if you're not giving to God significantly, then you're probably struggling in some capacity, whether it's financially, relationally, spiritually, whatever. That's the same thing that it comes to understanding what God wants from you. He wants it all because he can do more with what you give him on all of you than you can do with it. And how do you learn about that? Right here. Get into the Bible. It's scripture. It's true. It's building you up, not tearing you down. So number one, understand what God wants from you. Number two, apply what God is speaking to you through his word. So once you understand it, now you've got to actually apply it. When I knew that God called me to preach, I had to actually apply it. And guess what I had to do? I had to preach. First time I did it was a train wreck. Slow motion train wreck, train wreck at that. I had to sit down because my knees were so weak. I was so nervous. My hands were so sweaty that the ink on my paper was running. Yes, I preached when you wrote messages out with, with pens. Not with computers. Now I stare at my laptop to preach a message. I used to write them all out because I, they didn't have this kind of technology when I started preaching. 
It was a train wreck, but I had to do it. And every day I kept doing it and kept learning and kept growing and kept putting myself in position to get good at what I do. And I do okay. I'm still learning. I'm still growing. Still getting better. And the last thing is this. So apply what God is speaking to you through his word. I don't know what that looks like. It's different for every person, but apply it. And then number three, last thing, very simply, ask questions. When you don't understand something, don't create your own theology, your own thought process. That's going to lead you nowhere. Ask questions. Who do you ask questions of? That's a great question. I'm glad you asked that question this morning because that's important. You ask questions of people who are going or are where you want to be. You don't ask. If, if I was going to ask somebody about financial health, I'm not going to talk to somebody who blows all their money on junk. I'm just not, because that's not financial health. I'm not going to talk. I'm not going to ask somebody's advice who lives above their means and don't have no money in, the, in their savings account. Not going to do it. If it came down to spiritual growth, I'm not going to ask the person who's at the bar on Friday night and in church on Sunday morning because that's not the biblical lifestyle. So if that's the case, I'm not going to ask that person about spiritual direction. You're getting where I'm going with this? Your coworkers next to you probably don't have a whole lot to say about the direction God's leading you in your life. Some might, but generally they probably don't. So who do you ask? You ask people who are where you want to be. That's, that's how I got to where I am spiritually because I asked people who are where I wanted to be. I want to be like that. How do I be like that? I'll talk to the person who's like that. He can probably tell you how to be like that. How to get to that spot, at least. But you ask questions. You're welcome to ask me any question you want. Sometimes I respond very quickly. Other times, you, I try. Sometimes I slow. Sometimes I forget. And for that, I apologize. But I usually get to the answer, get to the question. And if it's really important, just bug the daylights out of me until I give it to you. Should you have to do that? No, not all the time. But I'm, I'm doing that for 100 people, including my own family. I'm happy to do it. But ask questions. We have elders in this church. We have leaders in this church. We have smart people in this church. We have people here that are where you want to be. Ask questions on how to get there. More importantly, and probably most importantly, ask God. He'll speak to you just the same as anyone else will. Matter of fact, better because what he says is 100% guaranteed. But ask questions. Don't just give up. Don't just create your own thought process. Just ask questions to understand how to hear from God. Ask questions how to pray. Ask questions how to read the Bible, how to study. Ask questions when you are studying. Understand what it is God wants from you. Apply what he is speaking to you and ask questions.